the Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 12th chapter. The Gospel reading is printed on the back of your bulletin, or you can follow along in your true Bible on page 825. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the story about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is God not of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Since this is such a big story this morning, I'm going to read a bit and then preach a bit and then read a bit more and preach again. Uh, because there's a lot to take in this morning. All right, so we will begin uh, with chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw in the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered, with, plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants watched beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. 
This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So for the past few weeks, we've been tracing God's promises through the lives of these ancient forefathers of faith and foremothers, really. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and now Moses. In each story, real life seems to swoop in and threaten these promises that we hear. For Abraham and Sarah, old age and biology seemed to have thwarted that promise of descendants. And yet, God provided a child for Sarah when Abraham is 100 years old. Last week we heard about Jacob who was leaving the land that had housed him and he was headed with his family to take the land that he stole from his brother all those years ago. He wrestles a blessing from God and then discovers an even greater blessing in the love and forgiveness from his brother Esau at their reunion. The promise of God seems to be secure until Jacob's sons begin to turn on one another. We don't hear about it during this section of stories, but jealous brothers turn on each other and they sell Jacob's favorite son Joseph into slavery. And Joseph, after a few more crises, rises to power alongside the Pharaoh. A drought then drives Jacob's family to seek help in a foreign land. They go to Egypt, to the Pharaoh, and they discover that the Pharaoh ruling is now their brother Joseph, and he graciously provides them food and refuge in a foreign land. They live peacefully for generations and generations until now. As we pick up the story today, trouble is brewing again for Jacob and Isaac and Abraham's multiplying descendants. This sign of blessing for Israel is a sign of disaster for Pharaoh. The new king of Egypt does not know Joseph, does not remember the story, does not care for the Israelites as he cares for the Egyptians. And so this new king of Egypt counters God's life-giving work with death-dealing efforts. Now, Pharaoh gives this demand that all the boy babies of the Hebrews be killed. But what he doesn't understand is that by killing off all of the males, he would soon deplete his slave labor force. And he also doesn't anticipate this policy rebounding upon his own head. If you think further in the story of Moses, we know that Egyptian sons will end up being killed as an eventual outcome of this policy. But the best irony of this story this morning is that the decision to kill sons and save daughters is undermined by those who are saved. It is the daughters in this story who subvert the king. The women refuse to cooperate with the oppression and begin the liberation of Israel from Egyptian bondage. That story starts 
today, not just when Moses goes to Pharaoh, but now, with the work of Shifra and Pua, those two brave midwives. They refuse to kill those boy babies of the Hebrews, and then they lie to Pharaoh's face, right? Well, those women, they're just hardy. They're like animals in the field. They have their babies before we can even get there. It's a little bit of humor in this difficult story. And yet, Pharaoh, who is unnamed, says, oh, I guess they're right, and lets them continue on with their work. They're working on the side of life and the side of abundance, God's will for creation. In the face of death, Shifra and Pua, they are seeking life. Now these women are not leaders in the community. They're not given large titles because of course during this time, women would never be leaders in the community. They're not women in a position of influence who could have an impact on governmental policy. They don't serve in Pharaoh's court. Yet they are not powerless. In the process of carrying out their rather mundane responsibilities of birthing babies of the Hebrew women, they are shown to have a profound effect on the future of their people. God uses them and their everyday responsibilities, their lowly station of life, to carry out this divine purpose. And there is no indication in this story that this courageous activity ever becomes public. We don't hear that the Hebrews start to murmur among themselves or talk among themselves. But someone, somewhere, knew and wrote it down and passed along this story it could have easily been forever lost amid all the movements of kings and nations, but the deeds of these women are remembered, and their names are remembered, even while the king of Egypt, in all his pomp and splendor, remains forever nameless. We continue in this story, and we hear that familiar Bible school story, Moses in the River. They are a family affected by Pharaoh's policy, and Moses' mother, Jehokabed, hides her son for three months. While her son was saved at birth, there's still danger, right? Someone could report them. And if you've ever been around a three-month-old, well, they're difficult to hide. <laughs> they're kind of noisy, right? Sure, they sleep a lot, but they get noisier as they grow older. And so when she hides him no longer, she does something desperate. She casts him into the Nile, just as Pharaoh has decreed, except she puts him in a basket first, waterproofs it, and then has his older sister Miriam watch over him at a distance. He is discovered by none other than the Pharaoh's own daughter who hears him, takes pity on him, and says, I will take care of him. In fact, she knows that he is a Hebrew baby, and yet she says, how about he comes and lives in my house? 
And so he's reunited with his biological family until he's old enough to be weaned, and then he becomes part of Pharaoh's household as Pharaoh's uh, daughter's adopted son. The women once again shut down the violence that Pharaoh is trying to enact in this story. It's incredible how this all works and fits together to bring Moses in preparation for what God is calling him to do. Moses then becomes educated. He is strategically placed in Pharaoh's court. And how wild is it that Pharaoh listens to his daughter and just lets this young Hebrew boy join their family after all of the other decrees that he's made against the Hebrew people? All of this is a significant reminder of how God acts in the world. Not through traditional institutions or power structures, but through ones that have no obvious power. The choice of the five women in this story entails much risk and vulnerability for them and for God. Right? These women could fail. They could have made different choices and God would have had to begin again. But these five women and their courage prove highly effective against this ruthless form of systemic power. And even more, God's plan for the future of the children of Israel rests squarely on the shoulders of one of those helpless sons, a baby in a basket tossed into the Nile. Who would believe that the strength of the Lord could be revealed in something so small and vulnerable. That's how God moves in this story, through unobtrusive, unlikely, and vulnerable ways. And it reminds us that there is hope and there is courage in any situation, even where God might seem absent. It points us toward Jesus, right? Being engaged on the side of life and having small choices lead to something greater. This preservation of life and preparation of leaders in Moses' story echoes into future generations till we get to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus himself. God, the word made flesh, come in the form of a helpless, vulnerable baby boy who descended from the Hebrew nation, who grows up with a bounty on his head too, right? Remember, King Herod calls for the extermination of all the firstborn sons in the Jewish families. They flee back to Egypt to find refuge once again. Until that young boy grows up, on the side of life and salvation and hope and courage for all people, going as far as being vulnerable on the cross, dying for the sake of a world that is loved so much. And so, how do we fit in this story? Where do we find ourselves Well, what can be more faithful 
than doing our everyday work that we are called to. Our work of being partners, neighbors, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, grandparents, aunts, uncles, caretakers of one another. What could be more faithful than following the example of the women in this story, raising strong, kind, generous sons and daughters who use their strength to set people free when the rest of the world constantly tries to shape boys and men and women too into the image of Pharaoh who only uses his strength to exploit and dominate. God is moving in this world. God needs these women. God needs Moses. It is a partnership. And we are invited into that work wherever we are, with whatever we have, however we can do it. Because God is with us. Like I told the kids, we can do hard things, not because of ourselves, but because of God because of what God has done for us and what God will continue to do for us through and in us because of Jesus Christ. We are gifted and prepared to be on the side of life together as the body of Christ in this world, to be hands and feet, to share that life and forgiveness and love for all people. So thanks be to God. Amen.